0: Well good morning everyone. Good morning everyone. And hello to all of you with us online this morning watching from many different locations. It is wonderful to be with you as well. Uh, Garland mentioned it and you heard the announcement last week that this $1.4 million campaign above and beyond what we tithe already as a church has been completed. Yes. We are debt-free as a church family. We are sowing $310,000 into our mission partnerships, and we are fixing holes in our roof and replacing a couple HVAC units as well because it's just hot in here. Could be the muggy weather outside, I'm not sure. Um, But I just want to say I am so very proud of this church family for the way that you have leaned in collectively and fulfilled such a huge goal of ours in this campaign called Made for More. This is a milestone for our church. This is a legacy kind of moment to not have debt and to make a big impact on our mission partnerships. And I'm so proud of you. So please mark your calendars. The next two Sundays we're celebrating. Next week, We're going to celebrate being debt-free as a church. And then the week after that, the 27th, we're going to have personnel here from Bixby Outreach Center and Mission of Hope, and they're going to be receiving checks uh, because of your generosity. So don't miss those next two Sundays. Today is the conclusion of our 14-week series on Genesis. This is the end of the beginning. Thank you. I thought that was really good, and I'm going to credit Jeff Rogers for that joke. Um, And it's also the last week that you can view our Genesis Art Gallery. You know, we had many artists, several artists in our church that created different pieces. They're on display in this hallway. They're beautiful. If you have not seen them, make sure that you see those before you leave today because uh, they're going to come down. We have focused our attention on some major players and events in biblical history, to recap creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah and the ark, the Tower of Babel, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham and Isaac, Melchizedek, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. Last week we looked at Joseph's dreams, and now today we're going to finish the story with Joseph and what unfolds between him and his brothers. By the way, I created a piece of art for the art gallery. It never made it out there. I'll tell you what I did briefly. Uh, It's now hanging in Dave Brown's office. But I took a Sharpie, and I created this giant question mark on a piece of paper, and I titled it Melchizedek (laughs) by Adam Barnett, still trying to figure out that mysterious character. You know, just about 30% of Genesis, chapters 37 to 50 to be specific, look at the story of Joseph. His biography occupies more space in Genesis than Adam, Noah, Abraham, and even his own father, Jacob. It is impossible, you know this, to examine his entire story in one sermon, so we're going to fly at 30,000 feet today. But I'm gonna start with this quote because this quote inspires the message. It's from Samuel Amadi. Joseph's story, he writes, is the story of the whole Bible, the whole Bible. It's the story of glory through suffering, exaltation through humiliation. It's the story of the cross and the crown. I wanna read that again. Joseph's story is the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of glory through suffering exaltation through humiliation. It's the story of the cross and the crown. Who else does that sound like to you? This quote definitely inspired the direction of my sermon as I'm going to give this overview of his life by specifically highlighting his suffering and humiliation. I want to talk about three adversities that Joseph overcame. The first is this. Joseph was sold into slavery. We cannot forget the dynamic between him and his brothers, how his brothers felt about him. You heard a little bit about that last week from Garth Bolander, our superintendent, who came and preached. Genesis 37.3 tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Knowing that alone, we've got a problem. That is a problematic dynamic in any family, especially if it is so visible, perhaps it was that that robe that he gave to Joseph, but it was so visible that all the brothers knew it. I mean, they all knew that dad loved this boy more than us. The Amplified Version of 37.4 says this, his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all of his brothers, so they hated him. And they could not find it within themselves to speak to him on friendly terms. Don't you love that? I found this e-card this week, and you're probably familiar with this phrase. I was taught that if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. This takes it a step further. Now you know why we haven't talked in a long time. (laughs) I just don't have squat to say to you that's nice. They hated him. After Joseph told his brothers about his dream, thirty-seven eight says that they hated him more than ever. So the brothers are ticked off. They're angry. They resent him. They envy him. They're jealous of his favor with the father. <clears throat> and then one day Jacob says, Joseph, I want you to run check on your brothers. You saw last week the map on the screen and the journey, the voyage that they went on with their flocks. I want you to go check on your brothers, check on the flocks, come back, return home with an update. And Joseph found them in Dothan, verse 18 reads, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him, let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, thank God for Reuben. When Reuben heard this, Reuben, I thank God for you, brother. My real brother, Reuben, not, and, and this one. He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And he said this to rescue him from them and take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to the brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that ornate robe that he was wearing, probably signifying his father's love and favor, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. In the next verse, it says that the brothers sat down for a meal. Just imagine this scene. Your siblings have just... Tossed you in a pit and left you to die. And then you can still hear them. You can still hear them all sitting down with their lunch boxes and they start talking about the game, right? I mean, this is an incredible scene. And it gets worse. A caravan of Ishmaelites come by and they drag them out of the pit, right? And they sell them as a slave and for 20 shekels of silver." So we see this poor 17-year-old young man who went from being a favored son to a helpless slave, and worse. This really hit me hard this week. How, How the depravity in this scene is already bad enough, but listen, no one knew where Joseph would land. Not his own dad not the brothers that sold him into slavery, not the Ishmaelites that purchased him and then would sell him. No one knew where this man would end up, but you know what? God knew. God knew. God's eyes were on him. He saw him. He kept his eyes on him all along, and he knew where he was headed. Adversity number two. Joseph was falsely accused. Let's look at Genesis 39, 1 through 4. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care not just one small portion of the estate, but everything he owned. Now, don't don't miss this. Joseph did not say to Potiphar, Mr. Potiphar, I got something to tell you. The Lord is with me. He didn't tell him that. What does the Bible say? It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. And I started thinking this week, how was Joseph living? How was he speaking? How was he acting? What was he doing that led his master to see that the Lord was with him? It also makes me wonder what opportunities exist out there. What doors might open in your life and my life if others around us see that the Lord is with us? For Joseph, well, he was promoted to the overseer of his master's home and over all that Potiphar owned. But his story would take another turn here. Remember, in Genesis twenty-four sixteen, when we looked at Rebecca's story, it said that Rebecca was very beautiful. Well, thirty-nine six tells us Joseph was handsome in form. And in appearance. And Mrs. Potiphar noticed. She invited him to bed, likely flattering his ego, arousing temptation, and although he politely refused her request, this was a very vulnerable time for Joseph. Why was it vulnerable? The Bible says that she was persistent and pursued him day after day. Verse 10, it also says that she pursued him when they were alone. Verse 11, now he did the right thing. He made the right choice, but was falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar, and she made the claim that he attempted to rape her. He would suffer consequences because of that accusation. And you know, when you read that, if you're like me, you read it and you think this is extremely unfair. This is unfair. This is wrong in every single way. But hey, if you've tuned out of this sermon, tune tune back in right now, because you got to hear this, even though it was unfair, even though it was wrong in every way. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 20, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. God was with him. So brothers and sisters, even in our very darkest hours, hang in there. God is with you. Adversity number three, Joseph was unfairly imprisoned. When his master, verse 19, when his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were were confined. Now, we got to take a little bit of a deeper dive, a deeper look at Joseph's exact punishment here. Potiphar says right here that he burned with anger. And when you hear that he burned with anger, it appears at first that he believed his wife's story. He was angry. But a normal sentence for a slave guilty of attempting rape would have been instant death. That would have been the normal response from Potiphar. But what did Potiphar do? Potiphar threw him in prison. This is Pharaoh's chief executioner who keeps his sword sheath and puts Joseph in prison instead of having him killed. This is just a thought for you to ponder. But perhaps he burned with anger because he knew he was about to lose his finest servant. And why? Because of a wife that he knew would be unfaithful. Just a thought. Nevertheless, Joseph goes from a free man to a slave to a prisoner. He was living a privileged life, and then he was thrown into a pit, and then he was thrown into prison. This is a downward spiral of circumstances. Listen to this quote by J.I. Packer. It makes me think of Joseph's situation. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. I'll just stop preaching right there. That is so good from Packer. Let's 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 listen to this again. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. He could have been bitter. Oh, he could have been really bitter. He could have given up, but he leaned on God. He leaned on God for help. He patiently endured prison. Now, you can read the series of events that continue to unfold in Joseph's story. Perhaps you've read it countless times. I'm going to summarize as best as I can with the time I have left. Verse 21, oh, look at what it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Hold on now. Did you know you can be promoted even in prison? I'm talking about whatever in your life right now feels like prison. You can be promoted in your prison. You believe in God, you can be promoted there too. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's, under, uh, in Joseph's charge because the, oh, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Even in prison, promotion, favor, he's prospering. This is incredible. And you know what? When all eyes are off of you, that's when you can get yourself in trouble because you can be dishonest, right? Right? But not Joseph. He was faithful even when people weren't watching. And so the turning point in his story began. The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended the king. We don't know why. Maybe they had something to do with the food that they brought. They're tossed into prison, the cupbearer and the baker. And both of them, while they're in prison, had dreams. They needed an interpreter. Joseph had a little bit of experience with dreams, didn't he? So he interprets their dreams. The cupbearer is then released from prison and goes back to work. On his way out, though, Joseph says to him, verse 14, hey, when everything goes well with you, remember me. Remember me. Show me kindness. Would you mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison? That's a fair request, right? Remember our interaction. Remember me when you go to the Pharaoh. Help me get out of this situation. He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Right? Pharaoh then would have a dream. He needed an interpreter. Joseph had a little bit of experience with dreams, didn't he? So the cupbearer is back at work, and he sees that Pharaoh needs an interpreter. He says, hey, I met this young Hebrew during my time. Remember when you tossed me into prison? I met this young Hebrew there, and he happens to be really good at interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh then calls for Joseph, a promotion out of prison. He calls for Joseph. Joseph interpreted that dream And that the interpretation of the dream was a warning of a famine. Now, we know Pharaoh was quite powerful, right? But even the most powerful army in the world is defenseless against a famine. So Joseph gave Pharaoh this plan then. He gives him this brilliant strategy. Here's how we're going to overcome this. And this will save the Egyptian empire from ruin, Ah, verse 39, another promotion. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, God gets the glory there. Do you see that? Hey, y'all see that? This side of the sanctuary, do you see God's getting the glory for what happened here? He says, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Goodness gracious. This is a good story, isn't it? Come on, is this coming alive in your heart and your mind today? At age 17, Joseph is out wandering around in a field tending to his flock. Then he is abandoned by his brother, sold as a slave, eventually thrown into prison. And at age 30, he's number two in command across all the land. Who can do that? Who can do that other than God? Who can do that? He had power, he had resources. He rode around town in a chariot. The Bible tells us he wore fine clothes, and he was even given his wife. Due to the famine, if you've read the story, you know this, his brothers come back on the scene. And why? They're looking for food. They're looking to purchase food. They're looking to survive. And so how would Joseph respond? How would he react to his brothers who had abandoned him, who had thrown him into a pit, left him to die, sold him, who were jealous of him. Frederick Meyer points out that Joseph, though he was stripped of his coat, was not stripped of his character. Maybe he was stripped of his coat, not his character. He's reunited with his brothers. He's reunited with his father. And Jacob is even given the opportunity to pray a blessing on Joseph's children. The whole family is back together again, this family reunion, the way things should have been. Now, after Jacob dies, all the brothers get together and they ask, what if Joseph, what if our brother, look, I like this self-preservation mode, right? What if our brother, now that dad's gone and not supervising the household, What if our brother holds a grudge against us and is angry at us for what we did to him long ago? Well, well, what could he possibly do to us? He could harm us. I think this seems like a very appropriate question. Are we in trouble? Dad's gone. Verse 19, and this is Genesis, friends. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Are you hearing this? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And why? Well, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Adversity number one, Joseph was sold into slavery, but God saw him all along. Adversity number two, Joseph was falsely accused, but what? God was with him. And adversity number three, Joseph was unfairly imprisoned, but God delivered him. And so we close our study on Genesis with this promise and this truth. Hear me, this is true for you. Look to your neighbor, somebody around you, and say, this is true. Say, listen, this is true. Whatever is intended to harm you, God can use it for good. Because he loves you and for his glory. Do you believe that today? If you believe it, stand to your feet and worship the Lord. Let's worship. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.